Welcome to another brand new episode of Crash Chords Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And before we get into this week's guest, I, of course, am going to plug my Patreon and thank my patrons. Rob, Frankie, Emily, Greg, and Case, thank you so much. If you'd like to get a shout-out at the top of the show, just like this, you can go to patreon.com slash stormageddon. We have a ton of different tiers. Every little bit helps for me to grow this show, get some upgrades, shift some stuff make the show better and make all the shows that I work on better for y'all listening. And I appreciate it. And if you can't give to my Patreon, I absolutely understand uh, a rate or a review on your podcast platform of choice is a humongous help. Preferably Apple Podcasts because enough amount of five-star reviews and actual written reviews get you more notice. So if you can do that, it just takes five minutes and I will be eternally grateful. Moving on to this week's guest, it's a big deal for me. Jesse Hempel is at the forefront of especially work podcasting, but just podcasting in general. Her show Hello Monday is incredible, has been hugely influential and educational to me, especially in 2020. She is an incredible writer, podcaster, speaker, and human being. I was so excited to get to chat with her. We talk about queerness, living in a pandemic state, trying to relax, what we see past the pandemic and much, much more. I'm really jazzed for you to just hear it, so I think I'm going to shut up now and let you just enjoy my conversation with the brilliant, charming, and lovely Jesse Hempel. Jesse Hempel on the show today, host of the incredible podcast, Hello Monday. Jesse, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me, Matt Storm. I'm really excited to chat. I want to start by talking about Hello Monday, a podcast that, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention I discovered because the incredible folks at LinkedIn hired my spouse to produce the show. But I think what I want to, I want to let you tell the listener first a little bit about like a brief brief, brief summary of what Hello Monday is at its core. Like, what is this podcast? If you had like an elevator pitch for it. Well, we like to say, and we say it every episode in the first 20 seconds, that it's a show about the future of work and what that means for us, right? Hello Monday. Oh my gosh, I forgot the tagline. I've said it every (laughs) week for like 72 weeks running. But I'm Jesse Hempel. I'm host of Hello Monday, a show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing you. And here's the deal. (laughs) The only reason the tagline matters is because it's a gateway for the fact that we're a show about people, right? And Mm -hmm. career is a great context to talk about people because we spend more than half of the hours that we are awake if we're a person who needs to earn a living through our career working, Yeah. right? Yeah. But at the end of the day... Like what Hello Monday is about is how we as people evolve so that we can be ready for whatever that work is, but also for whatever our lives are and our purposes are. Yeah, it's one of those shows that as a uh, fan and loyal listener of, uh, I'm always shocked about what I learned. And not like I don't expect to learn things, but just even the guests, if I'm tuning in for a certain guest who I know has done a certain thing, I will still learn something about them and how they work that I just didn't see coming. And I think that's really a testament to how this show really dives into 
how everybody works differently. You can align with certain things, but we all have our own personal spin on how we work and how we experience work and how we go through the process of working. And what a career means, right? Like, I mean, there's a whole school of thought that says that you should do the thing that you're passionate about and you should make money and they don't have to connect. So you have somebody like Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote that book that did so well like 15 years ago, Eat, Pray, Love. And she's a big fan of this idea that like, you, you do the thing that you're most passionate about for her maybe it's writing um, and you do the thing that makes you money and if they happen to coincide great but look, they don't need to whereas yeah. you know I as a as a kid who grew up in the 90s I, like I was trained by my parents to believe that I should find my value through doing the thing I love it was my career that was destined to give me value I think that there are a couple of polls that are interesting to play with there and our show happens in the conversations in between those polls. Yeah, totally. I mean, I agree. Like, I struggled a lot, especially during the pandemic, which we'll get into in a minute, because it's still happening. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> that, I, I, like, you struggle with your own value, because especially as 90s kids, we were taught, like, your value is your work. You show the work. And that's just not necessarily true anymore in some places. And it's, and it's maddening. Um, but we, before we get too far into the nature of work, I would actually love to know, cause I don't think I've heard what are the origins for Hello Monday? How did this show start? Cause I know you have a history in journalism and you've worked for other publications before you ended up at LinkedIn. And so I'm kind of curious how this show came to be. Sure. So a couple of years ago, so before I joined LinkedIn, LinkedIn knew that it wanted to get into podcasting. The company understood that podcasting was just beginning to open up. I had a lot of very talented colleagues, including my colleague Carolyn Fairchild, who just felt like we should be in podcasting. And so they created Hello Monday as an idea, and they gave it a name, Hello Monday. Mm -hmm. They market tested it. They decided that was a good name for a podcast. And then they hired me. And when I came on, Matt, there was no podcast. And they were like, here's a name. Have fun. Make it what you will. Amazing. <laughs> and nobody quite knew what a podcast was supposed to do. And keep in mind, no one knows what a podcast is supposed to do. Yeah. But it became very clear very quickly that a podcast is just a great opportunity to follow one's own curiosity and the thing that matters about a podcast is the host. The host becomes a friend. The host becomes an extension of your own mind, your own curiosity, is your own passions in life. And especially this year, we're in a moment where we're not making a lot of new friends. I mean, when's the last time that you went out to a bar and sat down and had a drink and like went home having a new conversation? That doesn't happen in my life. Yeah. But podcasting is a place where we can discover the kind of intimacy that at least gives me meaning in my friendships. For sure. And so the idea of it being about the nature of work and how work is changing, is that something that you came up with? Entirely. And here's how I got there. I was like, okay, I work for LinkedIn. LinkedIn's about work, Matt. I mean, who doesn't yeah. know that, right? Like, so <laughs> Right. So, so let's start. It's, it's got to be about work, right? But also it needs to be entirely true to the things that I care about and the things that I'm curious about. And I'm curious about people and how they rearrange their lives to make that work work um, and where they find value in their lives and when it is work and when it is not. And so that's sort of how we edged into this nether space that we call a career podcast. Right. But it's a little bit different than that too. It's, it is that. It is clearly that because 
the conversations that we're having are the conversations that you kind of need to have about your work life in 2020. And it's also something more than that. I mean, and I can completely relate to that because Autographs started as a music interview show. I already I had had a music podcast for many years, which is now on indefinite hiatus, but which is where the namesake Crash Chords comes from. But Autographs, my co-host at the time, had the idea of like you're getting these musicians autographs auditorily by interviewing them and talking to them, which I was like, yeah, sure. I'm sold. That makes sense. I love that. That's such a great idea. And then, but what happened was after I ran out of all of my friends who were indie rappers who I knew personally and kept bugging to come on the show, I was like, this needs to expand. It needs to be something else. And at the time I was DJing in the burlesque scene. So I was like, I don't know a lot of burlesque performers who have been on radio shows. Let me start interviewing them. And then from there it was photographers and then comedians. And then I had friends who were magicians. And like now I'll interview anybody. But it started as like this New York arts thing. But then I realized... Well, it doesn't have to be about music or even the arts. It can just be about anyone who wants to talk. You know, I've interviewed a huge variety of people. And I think at the core of it, it's what you're talking about. It's this conversation and comfortability with the host. And then it's telling interesting stories. Um, and not all of them have to be these extended narratives. Some of them can just be people shooting the shit. It's because also if your guest is comfortable, and I'm sure you find this on your show, if your guest is comfortable, the conversation will definitely go more smoothly than if they're a little anxious or nervous, which happens too. But if they're comfortable, like you'll get the best conversation because they feel they can share. Yeah. And you know, as you say that, it makes me think about how in the early to middle part of the 20th century, People would get together for these kind of salons, these salons, mm -hmm. particularly in cities, where the point was just to be with interesting people and to have interesting conversations. And yeah. podcasts like Autographs in particular, that format, that feels like our modern day salon. It's how we discover new things. We discover new things through storytelling, through intimate conversations. And we have this beautiful new venue to do that. And that's audio. Yeah. And, and podcasting is so accessible now. I mean, when I started doing it, I was recording on a crappy iPad. And like, I always tell people, if you want to listen to the autographs, go back to like maybe 50. The ones before that, don't worry about. They're not really <laughs> listenable, you know, but we learn as we go. And I just, I think what I really love about Hello Monday was something I got to experience as a bystander through Sarah and knowing you through Sarah. When she first started, she was going into the LinkedIn office all the time. You guys were in the office working and doing the show. And then a pandemic happened. And now you're doing a show about work, but a lot of people aren't going to work. Yes. And to watch you guys in real time pivot, while I'm sure it was very stressful and nerve wracking, was incredible to experience as a listener because I feel like you didn't miss a beat because you just refocused what talking about work meant and worked in the pandemic and worked in working remote and all of that stuff. Like, I think that is just such a brilliant accomplishment. And I have to imagine in the early days, you were kind of just like, oh, what are we going to do? I mean, early days, like this afternoon. I mean, part of the <laughs> pandemic is you just still never quite know how you're going to pull it together, right? So like yeah. this afternoon, Sarah, your wife, and I recorded an episode. And so our situation for the pandemic is, you know this, we have a toddler. Our neighbors have twin two-year-olds. They have a small apartment, but a big backyard. We struck up a deal with them. And Matt, we did not know these neighbors before the pandemic. These aren't like friends. <laughs> right. These are like the people next door who knocked on the door, right? So all of the two-year-olds 
go to their house all day and all the adults come to our house and work all day, which means that there's always a person everywhere in wearing their newest canceling headphones on their Zoom, having a meeting. And this afternoon, I needed to record an episode at four o'clock and I found myself propping my microphone on the changing table in the nursery, <laughs> trying to balance my laptop on top of the diapers and to say with a straight face to the executive that I was interviewing, oh, no, 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 no. Let's start at the beginning. I'm, I'm totally relaxed. I'm totally here. <laughs> <laughs> and every day is like that. I'm sure there are people yeah. who've like figured out the setup and it just works for them and good for them. But there are also a lot of us who every day is a new day and every day we're like, okay, how am I going to get from the beginning to the end? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you full well know and the listeners know as well. I lived through a roof fire on my apartment building this year to add to the stack of things in 2020. And like, I still vivid images of Sarah sitting near the TV in the hotel room recording with you and then me sitting at like one of the small hotel tables recording one of my shows in the middle of the room. And it's like, if you can get it done, you get it done. But this year, I think more than any other year, we're all learning that almost the rules are meaningless. And the fact that what we thought was the only way to do something is clearly not the case as we are all finding different ways to do the things we always did one way. Matt, you guys out 2020 everyone I know. <laughs> I mean, who has a house fire in the middle of a pandemic, right? I know. Yeah. It's just because we wanted to be the best. <laughs> you know, we're just going, going for going for the gold. You were like misery this year. We got misery. Bring it. You know, it. I mean, look, Sarah and I are both very lucky. Like with everything that's happened, we've had incredible folks like you and LinkedIn and other people who have held us up and helped us through it. And it's not over yet because we're still displaced. We're still in a different place. But I think, you know, I at least as a creator learned that however you think you're going to do things, you always have to have a backup upon backups upon backups because you have no idea what's going to go wrong when you don't know. So in the early days of this show, there are two episodes in the first 20 episodes that I lost the whole interview. I was doing them via the phone at the time using a third-party app, and it just crapped the bed and didn't, and didn't record. And so I had to go back to those guests and humbly ask to redo them. And they were both very considerate and very nice, and it was not a problem. But, like, there is no way to be infinitely prepared, but I am trying to get close. And I have to feel like recording a podcast like Hello Monday and having so much content out there and recording so frequently that you you must have a process now to make sure that things are backed up, that there are contingencies in place, and I'm sure stuff still goes wrong. Well, sure, we have a great team of talented people, and we have a chief in your wife as our producer, but also we've kind of learned to let it go. We also mm -hmm. lose stuff. We also have edits that aren't perfect, and I think that one thing that has definitely shifted for me this year as I just don't feel like I'm going for perfection anymore. That perfection is the enemy of the good. I think that's the way the phrase goes. I don't know. But what it means to me is like, just show up with people. People yeah. don't care if you've capitalized the right words in your newsletter or you've forgotten to edit out a phrase in the show. Just show up. No, absolutely. For me, like if this, if the audio quality is good, if people enjoy the conversation and if my guest has a good time, I've done everything I can. Like, you know, there there have definitely been episodes that have had worse audio that I like sit there and I pick each sound problem out. And like at the end of the day, nobody writes me and goes, Matt, this sounded perfect. 
I'm so glad you spent an extra four hours on this one edit. It's like you have to know what's within your reach, what's within your grasp, and what you can handle. Um, and I think also another thing that Hello Monday does really well is it it make like work can sound uh, insurmountable, especially in 2020 during the pandemic, during people getting let go. But what your show has done really well is like it's not it feels like the end of the world. And at some t- at some points you really think it is, but it's not. And there are steps and there are things and there are people who have been through these things. And I love that you've brought guests on who have struggled with unemployment, who haven't had a job in a while, who pivoted their career on the drop of a hat and made, a su- made it successful. Like all of those things seem impossible and your show has really made it feel achievable. I am so glad to hear that. I don't know if you can hear my son in the background. If so, I just apologize. He's very angry about bedtime tonight. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> Not like it doesn't happen every night at exactly this time, but every night it's worth a protest. And every once in a while he totally gets us. <laughs> you know, I think that's right. But I also think that, and this again goes to 2020, like there's a conversation about work and money and privilege. And for many people who listen to our show, work isn't just a question about a career. It's a question about how to pay the bills. And you cannot decouple those things. You cannot decouple how you make your decisions about one to support the other. And then there's about work marrying our purpose and our passion with our sense of being and how we spend our time. And I think that doing this show for two years has actually made me continue to question capitalism and to look more deeply at capitalism as, forgive me for saying this, but as a little bit of an illness that has afflicted our society. And when we don't stop to examine the choices we're making regularly and methodically and with great self-care and compassion, then it is easy to give in to capitalism's dictates for us so that we are driving our career into anything that an externality deems as profitable or good for us. The thing that I hope for for our show is not that we can encourage people to make money or not make money. It's not that we can overcome privilege or anything else. It's just that we can get people to bring their attention to what's driving their decisions. And when they have the opportunity to allow something other than capitalism to drive those decisions. Yeah, Uh, that's I mean, I think that's brilliant. And I think it's absolutely true. Right. And we also live in like I don't think. There's anything wrong with saying that there's something wrong with capitalism as it is, because we live in this backwards ass world where, like, for example, I have a video game podcast. I have several video games are considered art, much like movies and TV and all of that stuff. But in order to play those video games, I have to buy the new video game console or the new game or, you know, whatever else that I need to interact with that art. But then we're talking about the validity of that art and damn the man and screw the money. And it's like you can't. It's, it's all intermingled in a complex way. And I think re- wrestling with that is really important. And I think understanding that is really important. Yeah, wrestling with it. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious as a podcaster, because I know for me, I produce too many shows, I host too many shows, and I still try and find time to listen to shows. But I find that I'm listening more to shows that are not like mine. You know, things that are trying something different, things that are kind of outside the box. When you're not working on podcasts or working in general, do you have downtime to listen to other things? And when you do, what kinds of shows are you listening to? I love that you asked that question because it is something that I only feel 
after the fact as a lag. Like I experience it as like, I'm not being really creative. I don't, I don't quite know what to do. And then I step back and I realize, oh, I haven't had any new inputs in a while. I haven't listened to any new shows, any new voices, haven't read anything new. And then I submerge myself in new things. And then the show gets a little bit better in a way that I can't draw a direct line, but that's how it works. That makes sense. You know, and I listen to things that are good for me. I try to listen to the Daily New York Times. Mm -hmm. I listen to a handful of tech podcasts because I can't really quell my... Inter- my, my earlier version of myself which was a tech reporter mm-hmm. I also listen to like some mainstreamy kind of like Oprah but I also love like If These Ovaries Could Talk a show for queer parents about where children come from and how people approach parenting that I love um, that's, that's brilliant all over the place yeah I mean I find that I'm the same too like I listen to a bunch of video game podcasts to stay up on the news because my my video game podcasts are not news shows and so I always want to get the news from somewhere since I'm not looking it up myself always um, and then I listen to some comedy podcasts and I you know and I, of course I listen to Hello Monday which I'll continue to mention um, you are too kind and and by the way your wife kills it your wife is as much Hello Monday and what it is as I am as the host and I'm often aware of the fact that people hear my voice and they're, it's, it's easy to think that this is my show. It is so not. First of all, it's a team <laughs> show. But if, right. in addition to being a team show, it has a leader, the leader is Sarah Jesse. That's the leader. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, thank you for saying that. And I tell her that constantly as well. And I think it's hard, it's hard to remember that sometimes. Like, I'm, I'm very lucky to be producing a show called Shut Up Evan with Evan Ross Katz, one of the first podcasting shows that I was hired to produce, which was super exciting. But every time I say it's his show because he's the host, he corrects me mid-sentence and goes, our show. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. Because it's just that. Like, if a team is putting a show together, especially if you have a producer or an editor, like, they are just as much a part of the show. And the listener doesn't always know that because they'll only know that an edit or a production thing went wrong if they hear it. If they don't hear it, they don't know, you know? Right. I think that's so. And I think as a... um I don't know why I pause when I say this. I've, I've, I've had a career as a cr- creative, right? I feel yep. a little sheepish about owning that word, but it's true. That's what I've gotten paid to do. And as a creative, the thing that has allowed me to have a career is editors. I have so much respect for, admiration for, and ultimately love for the people who have chosen to engage deeply with the things that I've tried to create and make them better. It's not that difference between between words and and sound. Like it's it's actually not as different as you would think. No, for sure not. And I feel the same way. And I also have that same hesitance. Like cuz I was a DJ for a long time and provided the pandemic ever ends, I'll be one again. Yay. But like I I struggled to consider that an art cuz I was like I'm pushing buttons, right? Like I didn't make this music. I'm not making my own mixes yet at least. And so like I'm not an artist and people would fight me on that. But then even with podcasting, like I do so many of them and for a long time I would struggle at saying that I'm a creator or I'm an artist. But the reality is if you're making something um it was Adam Savage who is one of my favorite creators. He was part of Mythbusters. He does his own stuff now. He said in his book Every Tool's a Hammer. If you make something from nothing, you are a creator. And podcasting is creating because you are creating a conversation, a thought process, a soundscape, whatever it is, from nothing. So you are creating. 
And I thought that was brilliant because I never looked at it that way until very recently. Yeah. There's some bravery that goes into that. Yeah. I mean, look, when I was making, when I first started making podcasts, I like I had five listeners, like I wasn't concerned. And like my numbers still aren't as big as mainstream stuff, but like still every time anyone says, I listened to your show, this was great. Or I liked that. Like it, it makes me feel really good because I don't assume people hear it, you know, and it's always nice to get that feedback. And that's bringing it back to Hello Monday again. That's something that you guys encourage with your weekly live show every Wednesday. And also how much you engage with the comments, how much you engage with the emails, the prompts to asking for stuff. One of the first times we connected when Sarah started working for you is you were asking, I can't even remember what the prompt was, but you had asked for listeners to submit something. And I sent something in and you sent me an email back thanking me, which was very sweet. Like, I, I like that. It's clear you care about the listeners, not just because they're a metric and they help provide, you know, help boost advertising or whatever else. It's more than that. It's a community and you treat it as a community where people work together. And it's almost like you and Sarah are just part of that community. You just happen to be the ones that are on the microphone sometimes. Which is what it feels like, right? And I would say that that is the 2020 definition of good media, like 20th century was all about the one to many model. But this century, this moment, this media, it's all about the conversation and the architects of the conversation. And the way that I think about it really is it has a physical presence to it. It's as if I'm sitting in a room with 20 people or so and I have some thoughts. But also my job is to help everybody else in the room feel seen and feel like they have room to share their thoughts. And, you know, our show is it's a big show. LinkedIn is a big brand. We've got a lot of listeners. It's not the daily. We're not <laughs> Mark Marin. Like right. we're, you know, we're we're an advanced beginner of a show. And I love that. I like exactly how many listeners we have. I love feeling like they're on the journey with us. I can name 20 off the top of my my tongue, tip of my tongue, top of my head. Both of those things. One of those. Yeah. Yeah. Both of those things. <laughs> It feels like we're making a thing together. It's funny. I've had friends who only know like pillars in the podcasting community. And like one of my friends once asked, don't you want to be like Mark Maron? And I said, God, no. I think half the time Mark Maron doesn't want to be Mark Maron, especially if you listen to his show. Like he is, I identify with Mark Maron in a lot of ways. I don't listen to him as much as I used to, but like he is an anxious, nervous comedian who just wants to explore other people. And I love that. But I'm like, I, I like his audience is so humongous and like, he has a very supportive audience, but I'm sure like any other audience, he's got his haters and people who are loud and unkind. And it's like, I'm very lucky that while I deal with that kind of stuff too, it's definitely not as loud as the people who are like a bajillion times bigger. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's funny. This this moment that we exist in is also a moment for micro-influencers, right? Like in the 20th century, yep. there were famous people and there were not famous people. And now everybody's building a brand. And so what that means is to the people who consume your brand, you are not a person, you are a brand. And yeah. I find tension in that. I don't like that. I've, I've got my own un sort of examined feelings about that. And so, for example, two things happened last week. One is I had a call with a listener. It was a listener who's who reviewed our podcast. I read her review online and she got in touch and said, hey, that was me. And so we had a call. And she was so nervous for the first 10 minutes of the call. 
And I wanted to be like, hey, it's me. It's your friend, Jesse. Like, come on. We talk every week. Like, why, why is this weird? This is not weird. Why is this weird? And she was just like, I live in Montana. I have my life in Montana. I listen to your podcast on Mondays. And now you are talking in my ear. Right. And yeah. I don't that that tension is is fundamentally unsatisfying to me. And so the more that we succeed, that Hello Monday succeeds, the more that tension grows. I don't know what to do about that. I don't love that. I want to be sure. able to call that listener in Montana and have it be fine. I get that. I mean, you want to be comfortable with people. I mean, we talked about it earlier just now that both of our shows have a lot of weight on comfortability and feeling comfortable in the space. And like, I, I get the sense that you get, but also it's different types of people, I think, too. Like, I'm an anxious person and I don't get nervous in front of certain celebrities, but then in front of others... I lose it. And I think it has nothing to do with how famous they are or, you know, how many people listen to them or watch them. I think it has to do with their impact on you. Like my favorite story is I had the pleasure of meeting Tim Daly once, who is a phenomenal actor. He was the voice of Superman in the Superman cartoons. Like he's done a ton of stuff. And for me, it was that, the Superman thing. Like I grew up watching the Batman and Superman cartoons. As far as I was concerned, when I read the comics, I heard his voice in my head. And like, when I met him, I was so nervous, whereas other people walked right past him, you know, because right. they, whoever. But to me, he was a big deal. And he was wonderful to me and very sweet. And we had a lovely conversation. But like, it was because of what he meant to my life that made it more nerve wracking than anything he like accomplished beyond that. It was just his impact on me that I think really influenced it. And it sounds like this listener, you mean a lot to them. And to be talking to you suddenly when they just listen to you all the time made them nervous, made them anxious, you know? Yeah, I think as I, I've listened to you say this, it also reminds me of the impact that we, all of us, have on other people without realizing it when we choose to use our voice and how yeah. much attention and respect we should give that because it's really meaningful. Yeah. And you can't predict what it'll mean to someone, right? Like that's something that I'll I'll always wrestle with is that something I said meant something to someone in a place when they weren't in a good place. Like that'll always be like the highest badge of honor is like if I made you feel better just by talking to you or you listening to what I do, like that that means the world to me. I wanted to take a moment to talk about something that you recently talked about, something super exciting. You're working on a book. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. I want to talk about that, not only to make people aware of it, so they'll all go buy it when it comes out. But I'm curious about that because, you know, you wrote for many years. You worked for different publications. How is writing a book, especially this book, different from other writing you've done in the past and other and podcasting and all the other things? Like, what's what's so different about this? Well, so, gosh, everything every single thing um but you know how the creative process works it's a beast and i happen to be in that part of the cycle right now where i consider myself trash low level despicable i completely trust this part of the process mind you i, I trust that way will come through it but it's a bad day to ask me to go go high on myself but the book itself is called the family outing it is going to be published by HarperCollins by an imprint called Harper One in most likely the fall of 2022, if I get turned in on time. And it's a memoir about my family. And here's the thing about my family, Matt. Everyone is pretty darn queer. In fact, I'm like the yes. boring gay in the family. <laughs> 
it's just quite seriously, there are five of us. I am the oldest of three children. My father came out of the closet. My mother did not come out of the closet. She did come out as a survivor of a really crazy crime series much later. I came out of the closet. I was the first, mind you, and I think that should go down in history. I was the first <laughs> of the Hempel clan. You set the trend. I set the trend. And I came out as gay in 1994 or so and was fairly heteronormative in presentation, and that's why they call me the boring gay. Right. My sister is lives in Portland, Oregon with her wife. She was always the popular girl in high school and college and came home and said she was bisexual. And we were like, no, you're not. Ha ha. You just want to be like the rest of us. And then she came home and said, I'm marrying this woman. And we said, "Okay." (laughs) And then my brother is transgender. And definitely my brother is the bravest of all of us in that he always has just been exactly who he is and has... Mm -hmm always seemed on the surface to allow other people their discomforts and move forward in what he felt was true about his life. And he carried a baby and gave birth and then carried another. He actually just had a baby during the pandemic. And in 2016, I wrote a story about his decision to give birth and it ran in Time Magazine and it was an overnight sensation. It was a huge viral hit. I like to think it's because of my words, but Matt, I'm going to be honest with you. My brother posed for a photograph chest feeding his baby son. It was an arresting photograph. When I saw the photograph, I called him and, you know, I'm so protective because I'm his big sister and I just never want anything troubling to happen to him. And I said, I'm scared. Like, I don't I don't know if you should let this this photo, you know, live on the pages of this magazine Because some dentist in Cleveland is going to put it out in the waiting room. And he's like, that's why I'm doing it. And uh, that's my brother. And so a few years went by and I felt inside me like I can talk and write about technology till I'm blue in the face. But at some point, I also want to try to tell the world something about what it means to have been born into this family where we all fell out of the closet and how that shifts fundamentally not my family in particular but the fact that this can happen to a family and is happening to lots and lots of families shifts the way that we relate to the nature of family and now i have talked for way too much without taking a breath i'm so sorry you're fine especially that i've talked about me so boring <laughs> that's not it's not boring at all that's why we're here people saw your name when i put out this episode if folks are listening it's for you I'm just like some side tolerance that they deal with to hear the guest. Hardly. I'm just doing this so I can finally talk to you after talking to Sarah all year. So just so you know. <laughs> Excellent. We'll just, we'll just do this every couple of months and we'll just Perfect. keep putting them out. Um, awesome. No, it's funny. I do appreciate, though, that last 10, 10 minutes was two artists putting down their own work and their own words because that's what we do as artists. And that's how we know we're artists. It's like, no, nah, yes, I'm not totally. Um, but that book sounds amazing. And I, and I love... I, what I love about it is because also like Sarah and I are both queer. We're both bisexual and we are straight presenting. And like I've talked on some podcasts recently after seeing Happiest Season, which is a new movie and all queer, almost all queer movie, like from toe to tip, you know, as far as holiday movies go, it's okay. But it's a really incredible thing for the queer community as a queer Completely. movie. Completely. So good. 
And like it made me feel something that I didn't expect to feel. There's a scene. Have you guys watched it? Oh, yeah. I mean, please. So to spo- if you don't want to be spoiled for Happiest Season, jump ahead like 10 minutes. But I want to talk about Dan Levy's speech towards the end of the movie. And like what I didn't expect is when Sarah and I watched that afterwards. I, I mean, and I'm an emotional person anyway, but I was a hysterical mess. I was openly crying. And I, and I was, and Sarah was like, what's wrong? I was like, I think I'm having feelings about never having come out to my parents because I don't hide that I'm queer. I never hid it from my parents that I painted my nails in high school and like, but I never told them I was bisexual. And then like I had seen some guys, but I never brought guys home. Not any guys that they knew I was dating anyway. And then I dated a series of women and then I married a woman. And so my brain, I'm like, well, I don't need to tell them I'm queer. What does it matter? They're not going to understand because... I'm going to marry a woman to to how could I be bisexual? And I don't know that my parents would think that they are very open-minded. They are not bigoted as far as I know, unless they are very good at hiding it. They've always been very tolerant and very open. We have other friends who were queer friends of family who were queer, but it just never felt like something I had to tell them. And then after watching this movie, it triggered something in me. I didn't know that was there, whether I'll tell them now or not. I don't know, but it made me feel something that I'd never felt before. And I would have never felt it if something like that hadn't gotten made. Which is astonishing to me. It's astonishing. It also makes me think that, you know, our parents are a stand-in for something really powerful, which is how we're perceived generally and broadly in the world. Yeah. And the truth is that once you, if you choose to throw down with one individual, then regardless of what you claim as your identity, 96% of the time, the world decides what you are. Yeah. It costs you that. Yeah. And my wife is bisexual and and heteronormative, very heteronormative in presentation and from Tupelo, Mississippi in the Deep South. And have we not met and fallen in love and made a great family and gotten a dog and a kid and another kid? It's highly likely that she would have married a guy. And she feels constantly invisible for that fact. Like she can only present as some portion of herself in any given time to her parents, to anybody else. Yeah. Um, And for her, I think it's doubly with her parents at the risk of speaking on her behalf, which I don't mean to be. But if she is going to choose to live outside the paradigm, then she has to prove it all the time. So she has to be like super double gay-ish, right? Right? Like she can't just be my partner. Yeah. No, I feel that too. And like, that's why I paint my nails. You know, it's like anything which i like doing anyway but it's like anything to stand out from what's stereotypically a man and manly like i try and avoid like the plague because a i don't agree with it but like my hair was purple for a really long time and before that red like i dyed it a bunch like just things that i associate with the queer community even if they're not inherently queer because it made me feel more like me and what i love about this book that you're writing and i'm very excited to read it in 2022 when it comes out is that you're presenting a fan like again it's very easy for people to think and view you a certain way and this story will allow people who felt invisible or who felt like their fa- no one saw their family that the, their family was seen because your your family is being seen and being talked about and it just what i love about happiest season is that queers get to have mediocre hallmark movies too like and that's and that's being harsher on happiest season than it is because i do think it's a genuinely good movie but i think being mad that it's not mind-blowing misses the point. Everybody right. should be able to make every kind of movie. And the fact that we got an average holiday movie that has some laughs and has a lot of heart is important because 
there aren't a lot of queer stories like that. And I think the same for your book. I can't think of any other story I've heard that's like that. And so to put that out there and for people to see it, I think is really incredible. Well, thank you for saying all of that. And as I try to write it, and I should say, like, you know, I'm working a full-time day job and I've, it's a pandemic and I have little kids. Like, it's... it. And so the way this book gets written is that I set my alarm and I wake up every morning at five and I write every morning from five to seven. I like sink into the deepest part of my childhood for two hours and then I come out and don't think about it again for like 22 hours and I do it again. And lately I've been struggling. I, I'll find my way through it probably even by the time this podcast airs. But like lately I've been struggling with the fact that I can't really figure out what the book is about because it's not all that important that we're queer. Like, as I go back and I try to, like, pull back the layers and understand how we relate to each other, like, really, it's a story about how we all weren't able to see each other. And then through coming out, we were finally able to communicate honestly with each other and find our way to each other. And frankly, I kind of think all families are like that, that all families are so busy. Every member is so busy putting each other member into the box that they have chosen, that it becomes so difficult to relate honestly with our nuclear family, the people that we are raised with. And if the queer identity offers anything, it offers the opportunity to wipe the slate clean and start over and say, okay, well, it turns out we grew up next to each other, but I clearly knew nothing about you. So tell me who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, even people who aren't queer absolutely go through that with their family. Like my brother and I hated each other growing up. We were nine years apart. We fought all the time. I was his uncool little brother, even if his friends felt differently. And then, you know, when he had his first kid and I was in, I guess I was in college then. Time is weird in 2020. Totally. It's hard to remember anything anymore. But when he had his first kid, like it just shifted. It just changed. And we didn't necessarily say anything. It just it just changed. We he treated me more like an adult. I treated him more like a family member. Like we came together more. We talked more. Now we talk really regularly. And you know, before the pandemic, we saw each other really regularly. And it's interesting how that kind life events like that, like having a kid, like coming out, like you know, telling a big truth, can wipe the slate clean and make pe and ha help people yeah. come together. You know, and the and it's not like a, a you know, there's no intent behind it to make that happen it just kind of happens it's a natural part of families growing i think and and your perspective is a very interesting perspective i think that's true but i also think and again this is think i think there's a different expectation for what it means to know each other in 2020 than there was say 50 years ago and interviewing my parents about how they came to be in the relationship they're in, which I did a lot. I mean, they're obviously di divorced. My dad's remarried. He's remarried a bunch of times. He really likes marriage. And <laughs> but, you know, when they got married in 1972, they didn't know each other. They didn't know each other's internal conversations. And there was no cultural expectation that part of marriage was to learn each other's internal conversations. Whereas... And it could very well be the queer community. It could be living in New York City. I mean, there are many, many inputs. But I feel strongly that in 2020, the expectation is that I will know the internal dialogue of my wife deeply. Absolutely, yeah. 
No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I mean, Sarah and I talk all the time. And we met when we met, we met at a time where we both had gone through extremely powerful heartache. And, you know, we said to each other a lot, we're done with the BS. Like, we're just who we are. And like, I mean, all relationships have their BS and go through their BS. But like, we came to, the, I think we worked so well because we started at a point of honesty that a lot of other families and relationships just don't start at because we were just so tired of having yeah. to dig through that. And it's what I think the strength of our entire relationship is built on is this, is honesty. And we, and everyone tells lies, everyone hides things or makes mistakes. We're human. But because we come from a place of such bold, honesty that even when those things happen or when mistakes happen we can come back to it we can take a minute and be like wait you're not that person you're not that person from my past you're not anyone else you're you and I know who you are and let's figure this out and I think that's very powerful and you're right I don't think that was something that was done even 20 years ago in the same way that it's absolutely done now yeah I also think a beautiful thing about being queer that maybe you and Sarah connect to is that if you're going to come out, then you have to re-examine all of society's expectations for you and how you're going to live your life. And you yep. opt into the ones that you want to opt into and you opt out of the ones you op- want to opt out of. And that for many, many people, you're never asked to do that. You never have to do that. But if you're queer, you have to do that. And there are so many things beyond just whether you you know, sleep with somebody of the same gender, different gender, non-binary, that sort of hem you in to the expected gender paradigm that you have landed in or life expectation, whether it's having kids or having a career or doing it late or doing it early. And like the beauty for me about queerness is that you have to ask the questions. Yeah. I love that. That's that's lovely. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk to you about in 2020 when you're home all the time. And I think you hinted at this a little bit. Do you relax? And if you do, what is the easiest way for you to relax? Because I, as someone who has a full time job, produces eight podcasts, hosts four podcasts, streams on Twitch. And then also still on top of that tries to do things in my free time, which sometimes I manage to make happen. I'm curious because for me, I feel like it's harder to relax in 2020. And I mean, also because I've gone through the whole fire thing and like there's so many other things going on just in our world with hopefully soon to be very gone from the White House, ex-President Trump and all of that stuff. Do you, you know, from the news to everything else, it's just hard to relax. Are you able at this point, especially wrapping up the year, are you able to relax? Do you know how to relax? No. I mean, it's hard because the context of my life doesn't change. So there's no right. physical move from one space to another that would help me mentally understand that we're we're not at work anymore. Exercise helps. I go through periods where I'm pretty good at it. And now I'm going through a period where I'm not that great at it. Have an exercise today. I know that it does help. It just sort of like switches it in my mind. You know, having a two-year-old helps because he's basically an asshole unless you stop and like engage with him at his level. And that's how you turn it off, yeah. right? Like that's that's how you win. Yeah. If you want to win the video game, that's how you win. <laughs> and that ultimately ends up being pretty good for me. So tonight 
I finished up work with um, your wife at a little bit after five. And I had an hour and 20 minutes uh, before we were chatting. And then I have more meetings with LinkedIn after. And um, he was really just going to be hard to tolerate unless I got down and laid down on some pillows and made dinosaur noises. So if that counts as relaxing, like that, I mean, that, was that great. sounds lovely to me. It was really great. <laughs> I'm trying to multitask when you have a human like that as a roommate is actually tragic. It's awful. Like you can't do that. You can't yeah. be like, oh, I'll watch my kid and do the laundry. No, no, you can't do that. Yeah. I, I found that try, like truly turning your brain off and relaxing only happens if you remove yourself from the space. Like I've gotten more relaxing moments just taking a walk around our neighborhood mm -hmm. than anything I can do in the house. And like there used to be video games that I played to re relax, certain uh, albums of music I used to listen to to relax. And sometimes those still work even when I'm in the space. But as I find, especially now that I started a new day job recently, which I'm very thankful for and I love the podcasting that I would do during the day and the editing that I would do during the day is now at night and on weekends. And so like the time that I'm truly relaxing is shorter now, which is fine. But it also feels, I feel like it's more satisfying. And for me, and I don't, I'm curious if this is for you too, if I find the right piece of media that I can just attach to my brain as this means relaxing, that helps. Right now I'm playing a game that's about 11 years old that I hated when I first played it on the Xbox 360, but I'm rediscovering a love for it on the PC because the controls are different. It's mapped differently. And I, I'm just at a different place in my life. And that has felt like relaxing. I've played it for so many hours over the last few weeks. And that in my brain feels like relaxing. Do you have any media that you engage with that does that for you? Yeah, that actually makes me think about I So I've had this Oculus in the back of my um, sort of office area that sat still for the last year. And I pulled it out. And it had sat still for so long I had to do a full factory reset on it. Um, but that has required just enough of my brain in just the right way that has been lovely and taken me out of myself that's amazing what are you playing on the oculus so i'm mostly trying to watch movies on the oculus oh cool which is yeah it actually is i mean like in the ski chalet it's very it's like very early oculus but it's lovely and the and the process of getting there is is really lovely um and then you know i also also like my television like we get a mm -hmm. solid 45 minutes in in the evening before we're both <laughs> toast that's that's what my wife and i call like date night is watching yeah. 45 minutes together date night is also going to the supermarket and uh yeah we we did a date night to uh, trader joe's recently it was like super stellar it's about as much alone time as we get <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, date night for us right now is watching The West Wing. I'm one of the rare humans who has never seen it. And so, uh, so I sat with Sarah and watched the HBO Max special they did recently uh -huh. to encourage people to vote because I'd never seen it and Sarah really wanted to see it. And I think that came out around her birthday maybe. And so we watched it as a birthday present for her. And I was captivated, which I'm not surprised by considering the cast. And so then I turned to Sarah at one point because I saw that West Wing was on Netflix and I said, would you want to watch it with me? And she got so excited. She's like, you've never seen it. And so like just watching me react a to all of these actors who I've loved for years, who are, are babies in this show. Mm -hmm. 
children. Like, I love Dulé Hill. I've loved him in Psych. I've loved him in so many other things. And he is a small child in this show. It's incredible. But, like, it's been really satisfying to watch this thing that everyone said was good and everyone said was phenomenal and, like, the pinnacle of TV and to see why it is and engage with it. And so that's been our date nights. We'll have dinner. And if we don't have a new show to watch, like Mandalorian or something, we'll just watch another episode of The West Wing. And that's been really cool. That show is so good. So the the actor in that show, Bradley Whitfield, his brother, David Whitfield, was a writer with us at Fortune during really? the period of time that the West Wing was playing. And they look so much alike. <laughs> That's amazing. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, it's funny seeing these actors like... And like for me, Martin Sheen, who's incredible anyway, he is he does a voice of a really important character in the Mass Effect games, which is a, a series of games that I have a podcast about. And so to see him playing this vile villain, this like humanity first character on this, you know, space opera, essentially, to then see him play this president, play President Bartlett, it's so different. And yet I see hints of his other characters in that character yeah. because he's such a masterful actor. Yeah, I've fallen in love with Alice and Janney in a way that, like, I've always loved her, but, like, Different. she's just so good in the show. And even, like, Baby Rob Lowe, to see Baby Rob Lowe and Chris Traeger a little bit from Parks and Rec in, in Sam is so funny every time I spot it. So let me ask you a question. Sure. We're talking so much about the, the pandemic and what our lives are like in the pandemic. Do you flash forward and think about how your life is going to be changed? Because we're, we're only six months to nine months to a year to a year and a half away from it being over. That's a really great question. And I love when guests ask me questions. So so that was perfect. So that's perfect. Because I, I don't often get questions um, from guests. Really? And so I love when it happens. Yep. Most of the time, it's just me. They ask the questions, yeah. which I, I this is the nature of the show. But that's a great question. And honestly, the, the answer is a little depressing um, because... So I'm someone who used to DJ for burlesque shows in New York all the time. And my identity was so attached to that and so attached to New York and live performance. But I stepped back from burlesque in February just before the pandemic hit for other personal reasons. Then on top of that, we almost lost our home in August. Technically, we did lose our home. We didn't almost. We lost our home. Yes. So that I always say the fire burned my roots. Like the two things holding me here was the New York live performance and my home. And they're, they don't exist anymore. And so I can't picture my future. And like Sarah and I have conversations all the time about where we'll live next. Because obviously we're going to live somewhere else next. We may go back to that apartment, but even if we do, we're not going to be there long. We're ready for the next stage. And I don't know where I want to live. I don't know where I want to go. And I think a big part of that is the pandemic. Like She was like, we can move to Philly. A bunch of our friends are there. And I'm like, what's the point? We can't see them. And I'm usually an optimist, but I feel like the pandemic has beaten me down in a way that a lot of other events in my life haven't because I'm a physical person and I am a proximity person. Like I'm a hugger. I like being around people in physical space. And I can't imagine what it'll be like to be around people on the other side. Because also I was someone who was just gearing up to start going to conventions. I was starting to do live panels at conventions and getting press passes for events for my shows. Because I was leaning into the podcasting and focusing on it. Those evaporated as those events evaporated. And now with the pandemic, I don't know if I want to be in a room full of 50 people, let alone a room full of thousands of people. So I don't know. I'd say the one thing that's definitely changed for the better on the other side of the pandemic is I will wear a mask all the time now. 
barring COVID, which luckily I haven't gotten, I've been sick less this year than I've ever been before. And part of that is not being around other people, but part of that is absolutely wearing a mask. And now in public, regardless of what the rest of this country does, I will always wear a mask because it's kept me healthy and I've always had health issues. So that's a positive change. And something I can picture on the other side of the pandemic is I will now forever always wear a mask in public. Yeah, I hear that. It's, and I think it's really hard for a, a lot of people to picture what that looks like just because we're so embedded in what now is. Like Joe Biden takes office, knock on wood, in like a month. And I still have no idea what that looks like because we've had Trump in office for so long. And it's felt longer. that I, It's just my imagination for certain things that have to do with actual life. I think is stunted in a way because of the pandemic, because it's just been the same thing every day for so many days, especially before I started a new day job. Yeah. You know, it's like Groundhog's Day, right? Like it's just every, every week is the same and you live in this radical present. And so of course your imagination isn't leaping forward to fill in the future for you. But I also think particularly in your case, there's something redemptive about that, that you can trust the future more than you could before you felt the present disappear. And you can trust who you are so that the future will kind of take care of itself. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. But you're right. And like all of the things I work on now, they just happen. I schedule all the podcasts. I record them all from home. I was recording from home and remote with my co-hosts before the pandemic. So like, that just will be unchanged. And I think that's also part of it. You're right. Because I'm doing what I know I'll be doing in the future now, it's hard to imagine a variation of it. Yeah. Jesse, this has been incredible. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I sincerely, absolutely admire you and everything that you do. I'm so grateful uh, for everything that you and LinkedIn has done for my spouse and for us. And I can't thank you enough. I, and to take the time to speak to me today, it means the world to me. Thank you. Well, thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me on. And, you know, I certainly one of the reasons why I'm on the show is because I met your wife or we would not have met. And she has been my creative partner this year. Everything that Hello Monday is, is because we stumbled across her at just right the moment and she was willing to take a chance on us. So I'm grateful for that. But more than that, as I was sitting over dinner with my wife before coming down here to do this, we were both lamenting about the fact that in another world, you and Sarah would have been over for dinner by now, right? Yes, we would have. <laughs> Absolutely, hands down. And we will we will see that other world again. So I, I, I believe it. Um, before we close out and before I have you do our sign-off, I would love for you to tell folks where they can find you and Hello Monday on the internet. Absolutely. So you could find you can find me on LinkedIn uh, at Jesse Hempel, and you can find Hello Monday anywhere you listen to podcasts. Excellent. Well, we have a saying on the show, and I'll have you say it to wrap it up. The saying is, music is life and life is good. The idea is, for first of all, I started out as a music show. But the idea at the core of it is, as long as you're making art of some kind, no matter what you're going through, life will be okay. It'll turn out all right. The artistry will get you through. So if you could wrap up this show, Jesse, by saying music is life and life is good. Music is life and life is good. That's it for this episode of Crash Chords Autographs. Our theme music is by Michael Kill. Our logo was designed by Case Aiken and Joey Amans. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. It's a great way to help us reach more listeners. 
questions, comments, or guest recommendations, email matt.storm at crashchords.com or hit us up on Twitter at CrashchordsWeb. Thank you so much for listening. Hey there, Screen Beans. Have you heard about Screen Snark? Rachel, this is an ad break. They aren't Screen Beans until they listen to the show. Fine. Potential Screen Beans. You like movies and TV shows, right? I mean, who doesn't? Screen Snark is a casual conversation about the movies and television shows that are shaping us as we live our everyday lives. That's right, Matt. We have a chat with at least one incredible guest every episode, hailing from all walks. We've interviewed chefs, writers, costumers, musicians, yoga teachers, comedians, burlesque dancers, folks in the film and TV industry, and more. We'd be delighted for you to join us every other Monday on the Certain POV Podcast Network. Or wherever you get your podcasts, fresh and tasty off the presses. What? what? That's... No, that's not... Can I call them Screen Beans now? Fine. Screen Beans! So tune in and we'll see you at the movies or on a couch somewhere. Because you're a whole Screen Beans now. You will be mine. Aurora.